Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, February 13th, 2017. pretty convinced we're going to be all over the map today. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to, you know, open up that cracked leather thing called the Bible. Yeah, then collecting dust over there on your bookshelf. And we encourage you to open it up and to, you know... Read it and compare what the the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, apostolates, self-appointed evangelists, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex to test and see if what they're saying in the name of God actually squares with, you know, the word of God. It's kind of a crazy thing we do here. It's politically incorrect and... Or and again, we find that what's being put out for our consumption, uh, you know, as biblical teaching, as stuff that we need to be believing regarding what God is doing it for us and in our lives and stuff like that, just doesn't square like at all with what God's word says. And uh, and so this is a warning work and a teaching work that we do here at Fighting for the Faith. And week in and week out, we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. Some of the stuff that's being said is just patently absurd. Some of it is subtle, very slick, a little slippery, hard to nail down. And some of it is, well, it, it, it takes some careful study of God's word to kind of see what the problem is. And so we try to, like I said, dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment in order to protect you, your family, your loved ones, your friends, uh, you know, from those who are exploiting people in, you know, in God's name, in the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus himself told us about the false teachers who would come to us in his name. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's kind of the, the interesting thing. Jesus warned us it would be exactly like the way it is right now. And, uh, and here it is. And, uh, you know, you show the average Christian that, you know, Hey, wait a second, that person 
those people, that movement, that's not really uh, a godly thing. What they're teaching is an error, and all of a sudden the tables turn. And, oh, you are a hater. You're... You are you are a nobody. You're just jealous. You yeah. What just happened here? What just? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about that today. Um, so let's talk about what it is that we're going to do with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to begin today with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update as we listen to Patricia King explain to us. The replenishment anointing. Mm -hmm. You're going, I've never heard of that. Neither have I. I had never heard of that in all of my decades of being a Christian. I've never once heard of the replenishment anointing. In fact, all of all the decades that I've been reading God's word, studying it, even in the original languages, teaching it, I have never run across those passages that teach that all-important thing that we need to be tapping into, the so-called replenishment <clears throat> anointing. So we'll check in with Patricia King. And uh, and then we're going to note uh, <laughs> that the uh, the Sith have a new apprentice. Uh, you know, it's kind of a good way of putting it. Um, <clears throat> oh, you know, I've been around for a while. You know, I'm getting near 50, not quite there yet. I think I have another year before I turn 50, but um, I've been around the block a few times. I have been a uh, somebody who has been watching the slide into apostasy for a long time. In fact, I remember Christianity before there was a, a Stephen Furtick in Elevation Church. I remember Christianity before Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life, and I remember Christianity before there was a Perry Noble and a Mark Driscoll and all that kind of stuff, and well... There, let's just say that uh, things are getting decidedly worse. There is a, a young man by the name of Clayton Jennings, and Clayton Jennings happens to be the son of the pastor at the church where I delivered the Resistance is Futile, You'll Be Assimilated into the Community uh, lecture. Yeah, um, I delivered that at a church, uh, Harbor Shores in Cicero, Cicero Indiana, uh, north of where I lived at the time. I was living in Fishers, Indiana. And uh, so the son of the pastor, uh, Clayton Jennings, turns out he's been acting like, well, you know, a narcissistic sexual predator scumbag. And uh, and women have been coming forward recently and telling uh, uh, their stories of how uh, Clayton Jennings, you know, groomed them and exploited them sexually and, caught, you know, wanted to do things with them that were not appropriate for Christian women and a Christian man to be doing, and uh, and so they've come forward. And uh, uh, J.D. Hall of the Polemics Report and uh, and Pulpit and Pen have, have chronicled a lot of this stuff. And the elders <clears throat> at uh, at uh, Harbor Shores they contacted me, and they've contacted uh, other people, uh, it, you know, who've come forward with this information, and uh, all of the evidence was presented to them about uh, this young man, Clayton Jennings, and uh, they revoked his preaching license, mm -hmm. and uh, he uh, submitted to, you know, church discipline and uh, and all of that type of stuff for a very, 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 very brief amount of time. And uh, and since then, he has, be, you know, he's completely lashed out 
and basically played the victim card and is uh, and has restored himself to uh, uh, revival evangelism ministry. Uh, and things are so bad that even the elders there have warned that they should not be support. No one should be supporting or listening to uh, Clayton Jennings. He is not penitent, and so they've invoked all of the steps of Matthew 18 and said, "Listen, you know, we've gone through all of this process, and uh, we, there's no choice at this point but to consider this man and te- treat him <clears throat> as an unbeliever." As a tax collector, that's kind of the idea. And uh, and so uh, Clayton Jennings, though, since he's restored himself impenitently to uh, revivalistic... Because, of course, you know, the, the church can't exist without him. And got to admit, I mean, every time I see a photograph of this fellow, it's like I'm thinking, how much hair product do you use? Because I remember Vidal Sassoon Jesus. Yeah, you remember Vidal Sassoon Jesus? Um, I'm pretty sure Clayton Jennings use a lot, uses a lot more hair product than uh, than Vidal Sassoon Jesus. And uh, anyway, so he's now you know restored himself. He's going to churches that are kind of in the charismatic NAR wing. Apparently, they'll take anybody, uh, and it doesn't matter to them that the, the elders of the church that uh, gave him his uh, preaching license have revoked it and have warned everybody about him. Oh, that doesn't seem to matter to them at all. And uh, and so Clayton Jennings is, uh, you know, putting out videos on his social media and, you know, they're basically thumbing his nose, giving the, you know, the, uh, the, the I'm number one uh, symbol to, uh, <laughs> to anybody who's, critical of him will note that uh, I've seen this stuff before uh, some of the arguments that he made uh, that is he's making man I remember hearing those arguments from Driscoll I remember hearing those arguments from Perry Noble I remember hearing those arguments from Stephen Furtick uh-huh and uh, two of those two two or three of those fellows uh, <clears throat> uh, well let's just say they were drummed out of the ministry uh, you know for moral failings, if you would. One is restored himself, though. You know, so I, I think that uh, we have a new narcissistic vision-casting Sith that is on the rise, and uh, he's definitely cut in the mold of, um, of Driscoll and Noble and Furtick and guys like that. And uh, somewhere in there we'll take a break, and then we're going to check in with the latest scam uh, from uh, Larry Huck Ministries. Uh, did you know that the Feast of Purim is uh, upon us? And you're thinking, well, the, what, the, what? Yeah, no, it, it, this is a biblical feast. If you've ever read the story of Esther, uh, you will know the uh, you will know the, the the origin of the Feast of Purim. And uh, you know, and uh, I think Pur it means uh, what lots? It's like uh, dice or lots or something like that, which I think is kind of fascinating. But anyway, so uh, we're going to be listening to Larry and Tiz Huck. And they've got this really weird scheme that they've come up with. And uh, all of it's really designed to get your money. But, oh, man. So we'll check in with that. And then if we have time, I have a wild card segment. It just depends on uh, on, uh, if I have time to get to it. Uh, David Crank, his latest sermon is titled Keep Dreaming. Keep Dreaming. And uh, so we'll check in with him. And uh, and then in our number two, uh, the sermon that I'm going to review is from a church I ha- I don't think I've ever reviewed a sermon from this church before. 
It's Life Lifting Church, and let me find their Twitter feed. Here it is. They're they're from Fort Erie, Ontario, in Canada, and we're going to listen to a sermon by uh, Pastor Alex McDonald titled "Starting a New Chapter." Starting a new chapter. That will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So I strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground that we need to cover here at Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update. Let's do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, there they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the chairman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, sing and roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be heading over to xpmedia.com and uh, Patricia King's uh, Everlasting Love uh, television program as she explains to us a-, a new doctrine I've never heard before. Uh, based upon a total twisting of God's word, because God's word doesn't teach this. In fact, there have been no Christians from the time of Christ's ascension until today who have believed in this doctrine known as the replenishment anointing. Yeah, the replenishment anointing. Here's Patricia King uh, to explain the details of this important anointing. Here we go. I want to help you increase and be blessed in your life oh i'm sure you do patricia um except for i've been tracking you you know since before i ever went on the air um and i'm pretty sure the people people person you want to really help to do financially well and stuff like that would be yourself uh not the people who watch your channel The Lord's been teaching me over the last couple of years about the replenishment anointing. Mm. Wow, the Lord's been teaching you about it, really. Mm. Don't you think if the Lord wanted us to all learn about that important doctrine of the replenishment anointing, that we'd be able to, you know, like open up the Bible and, you know, find it clearly explained and spelled out in the pages of Scripture? As he's been teaching me, I've been working it with intentionality. Oh, wow. She's been working with it, it working it with intentionality. Oh, well, then it has to be from God because, I mean, everything that somebody does with intentionality is clearly on the level and from God, you know. The principles of it, following his spirit in it. And it's just been amazing the way that, that this anointing has worked and the miracles that have happened as a result. Right. Wow. There's been miracles happening. See, see, that proves that this is from God. By the way, um, are you aware of how the whole, you know, saint thing works in Roman Catholicism? Yeah. 
Um, look, just a little bit of a note here. You know, it might seem like I'm digressing, but trust me, I'm not. So, you know, so there you have, you know, a, a very famous Roman Catholic. Maybe it's like Mother Teresa or the late Pope John Paul II. And, uh, and so there, you know, there they, these are popular people well known for their amazing feats, you know, within Roman Catholicism. And then, you know, they die. Yeah. And so the question is, have they actually bypassed purgatory and gone to be in the presence of Christ himself? And, you know, and thus by doing so, you know, have, have they, they've been sainted, you know, they, saints are not just mere Christians. No, no, no. Forget what the Bible says and how the Bible talks about saints in the New Testament. No, no, no. Saints are the super de duper, really spiritual people who, you know, who did so many good works that they, that they're, they they went above and beyond what was necessary in order to avoid purgatory and uh, so they've gone to be you know in the heavenlies and and so the way you know that uh, this this person is sainted uh is by um praying to them and if the church the roman catholic church can validate that miracles have been done in the world as a result of praying to said person, you know, like Mother Teresa or Pope John Paul II, and they can validate that these miracles are for are for real, then then they they induct them into the Saint Hall of Fame. Well, something like that. <laughs> so, you know, hey, you know, there's all kinds of things that are claimed uh, as far as doctrines and uh, and the validation for such uh, doctrines are, you know, miracles are the thing that are invoked in order to uh, prove that said doctrine is true. Yet Jesus, it's, you know, kind of weird, you know, when you read Jesus, he doesn't seem to think that miracles are the definitive proof that uh, that God is behind something. And, and the reason I say that um, is that in the Olivet Discourse, which is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24 in particular, Jesus describing, you know, what would be happening in the end of days. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise, and they will perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Jesus says, see, I have told you beforehand. And the reason he's told us beforehand is quite simple. Listen, just because somebody is claiming miracles or even if miracles appear to be happening, because uh, the scripture also warns about false miracles and false signs and false wonders. But even if legitimate, miraculous things appear to be occurring, Jesus says that false Christ, these would be false anointed ones, and false prophets will arise, not could. He said they will arise and get this, they will perform great signs and great wonders uh, for the whole purpose of leading astray the elect, if that were even possible. And Jesus has warned us ahead of time. So here's Patricia King with her telling us about this replenishment anointing, right? And she claims that she has been, well, practicing it with intentionality. And she herself has been experiencing miracles by, you know, activating and actively doing the replenishment anointing thingy. And see, this is the proof that this is from God, 
No, actually, it's not. The proof as to whether or not it's from God is, number one, can you back it up biblically? And number two, let's take a look at your doctrine and theology. Patricia King is a, a, a television pastrix, self-proclaimed prophetess, and over and again, we've demonstrated that she is, um, well, uh, known. You know, Her big thing that she's known for is twisting God's word and telling really tall tales. Uh-huh. So I want you to have it. Like, can you imagine your life if everything in it was replenished, that every time, let's say, you spent energy, that it was replenished back to you? Yeah, well, that happens when I sleep at night. You know, I experience replenishment while I'm sleeping. Most people do, you know. Every time that uh, you gave uh, love to a friend or a family member that was maybe a sacrifice of love, that it was replenished back to you and then increased, your capacity for love increased. What if when you were giving finances that it was not only replenished, but given back to you, increased back to you beyond anything that you could ever imagine? Can you just imagine that, you know, taking food? Oh, just imagine, just imagine. So are we supposed to determine the veracity of dubious doctrines based upon, well, whether or not, if I can imagine how my life would be improved through the exercise of said false doctrine? What is this? Your cupboards and, and, and eating it or sharing it with friends, and all of a sudden you go back and your cupboards are replenished again. Well, God wants you to know that that replenishment anointing is available to you. So that Yeah, it's called work. You know, <laughs> I experience the replenishment anointing every week by getting busy and doing the work that God has called me to do in my various vocations. Yeah, I mean, and so by working, I earn a wage, and by earning a wage, my wife is able to get go to the grocery store and, you know, and replenish our pantry. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm experiencing the replenishment anointing right now, have been since I was a teenager, called work can function and operate in it and love it love the benefits of it and you can have it all the days of your life so i have such great testimonies to share and people that i've taught have really these testimonies yeah see it's got to be true because she has testimonies to action and they get miracles almost immediately so i want to build your faith during this time so that you also can enjoy this replenishment anointing now i want to begin in genesis chapter one And it says in verse 27 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. And then it says this, God blessed them. You are blessed because God blessed you when he created you. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish or fill the earth. Replenish it, subdue. Uh So, So notice the technique she's engaging in here. This is what we call... Roof texting. She began with her theology, the so-called replenishment anointing. Um, and then she had you engage in, well, imagining your life. Uh, you know, if, if, with, with, if you would just, you know, in, you know, do this thing, you could use your imagination and, and you would experience the replenishing anointing, you know, using your. Right. Yeah. And then she goes into the Bible and she finds a verse that apparently uses the word 
replenishing, which means that she, you know, she got online and went to some Bible gateway program and did a word search in the Bible for replenishing. And she discovered that in certain translations yeah, of Genesis chapter 1, um, you know, that, uh, that in, you know, starting at verse 27 and 28, that there's a word that is used in some translation that, that means replenishing. And so, therefore, God wants you to replenish. You, have, you need the replenishing anointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, that's not how doctrines work. Yeah, you see, the replenishing anointing is actually not discussed. Um in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. In fact, let me read uh, from the ESV, and I think you'll see the, the point. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the every living thing that moves on the earth. And you notice that the word subdue doesn't actually appear in the ESV. Let's let's try the NIV. See if see if replenish shows up that in there. Be fruitful and increase in number. Subdue it. The ESV says. Okay, let me try. Let me try. Hang on a second. Let me try uh, the King James version. Hold on. It's got to be there in the King James. So God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful, multiply, multiply, and replenish." There it is. <laughs> replenish. <laughs> The earth, yeah, the problem is that um, the uh, Hebrew word uh, melu um, means to fill. Um, and so she's basing this on, uh, she went and she found it in the King James, and it says replenishing. So therefore, God must be teaching the replenishing anointing in Genesis one twenty-eight. And no, this is not how you uh, you exegete God's word. Genesis one twenty eight is not teaching the uh, replenishing anointing, and uh, the Hebrew word uh, melu it um, it means to fill or to subdue, um, and so that's not what's going on there. Do it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. God has given mankind a replenishment anointing. No, actually, that's not God giving a replenishing anointing. You're utterly twisting God's word for your own gain, of course. When we come into Christ, we have his miracle working power. So when Jesus was walking with his disciples, he taught them on a few occasions how to operate in this replenishment anointing. Really? Do you have a biblical text that actually says that Jesus was teaching the replenishing anointing? I'd like to see that. I, <laughs> yeah, this is a form of uh, the, the Bible twisting technique known as eisegesis. Mm-hmm. Now you're thinking, what is that? I mean, is that cold Jesus? What's What does that mean, eisegesis? Eisegesis, E-I-S, it's from the Greek word into. It means to read something into the biblical text that is not there. Exegesis is to read out. Now, when you, you're going you're gonna to look long and hard in, uh, in all of Scripture, you, and you won't find it. You will never once find any passage that teaches the so-called replenishing or replenishment 
anointing. It doesn't exist. This is the figment of Patricia King's imagination. So in order to do this, she's going to read it into, you know, a, a passage of scripture. Let's see if we can figure out which You'll one You'll see is. it in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. No, I've never seen it anywhere, Patricia. In fact, I don't know any notable uh, Hebrew, Greek scholar, biblical theologian who is actually an exegete, any commentator who believes in and will affirm that the Bible teaches the replenishment anointing. And it is for you today. You'll see that... Right, because Patricia King said so. We all know what a biblical scholar she is. In the book of Acts, you'll see it in the Gospels. I mean, God wants you to operate in this miracle anointing. So as I... Apparently, God wants you to do this. So what are you waiting for? You right now, it's going to be imparted to you. So position yourself to receive some teaching and instruction on how to operate in this replenishment anointing. I'm going to show mm, She's going to show us. So what we're going to do right now, we're, we're going to take our first break. And so, and so what I would recommend that you do during the break, position yourself to be ready to, to learn how to operate in this important anointing, the replenishment anointing. Uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back a little bit more. Patricia King and the so-called replenishment anointing. Oh, can't wait. I got to position myself to receive the teaching on this. So not sure what that position is. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you with this. 
Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no! Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. I'm on a to hell. Hold on, let me change the station. for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass, his owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! 
I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope. It's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the replenishment anointing is a total nonsensical, well, false doctrine. Because it is. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, 
you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And after that, Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button or... You can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to um, Patricia King's everlasting love television program and see where she finds this replenishment anointing. She claims that Jesus taught this anointing to his disciples several times on several occasions. I'm curious. Let's continue. Show it to you through scripture, but it's got your name on it. And just, you know, as you're listening to this teaching, as you're watching the program, believe that Jesus is right with you by his spirit, teaching you personally so that you can have this nugget all the days of your life. Right. See there, you just imagine Jesus, you know, is there right there with you and See, he's going to be giving you his nod of approval so that you can have this nugget of an anointing, you know, for for the remainder of your time here on earth. I'm going to start with the story of the loaves and the fishes, how Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish to feed 5,000 people. Yeah, so there it is. So apparently the feeding of the 5,000 is the... Um, is the important thing there uh, to, in the replenishment anointing. By the way, that is not the replenishment anointing. I talk about this uh, this particular miracle in depth just a couple weeks ago in our ramblings through Exodus and uh, and how it points the the fact that Jesus is in the wilderness. He miraculously feeds Israelites in the wilderness, and this then is the the, the indicator to them that Jesus is the promised prophet that Moses talked about. And uh, and so this miracle, uh, aside from the resurrection, is the only other miracle that appears in all four Gospels, and it, it shows who Jesus is. I would recommend going back and listening to that episode of Fighting for the Faith if you would like details about um, how to rightly handle this text. And so what is she doing? She is reading into the feeding of the 5,000, the replenishment anointing. Now, if... If this were really teaching the replenishment anointing, then there would be clear instructions in Scripture that this is an anointing for Christians, that this is reproducible by Christians today, and uh, and this would be a prescriptive text that explains the anointing rather than a descriptive historical narrative where apparently you just come up with your own interpretation and then create the interpretation of the replenishment anointing. I've already noted that Christianity through its history has never taught this anointing. None of the church fathers believed it. Christians never taught it or believed it until Patricia King came on the scene. And so what do we see here? This is, again, an example of eisegesis, a twisting of God's word, and her basically exploiting people for shameful gain, teaching them something that they ought not to teach. There is no reputable biblical scholar commentator or anybody who has ever taught the replenishment anointing and so uh this this is uh this is just devilish demonic uh at the uh at well in, in the extreme 
I think you get my point. All right, let's move along. I've chosen music that we will be using for this update on Clayton Jennings and any future updates of on, on Clayton Jennings. I think this is quite appropriate. Here we go. right. It's all about me. Uh, A new narcissistic Sith has arisen within the ranks of evangelicalism, and his name is uh, Clayton Jennings. Now, if you want the details on uh, the women who have come forward to basically say, this guy exploited me, sexually took advantage of me, and the details of it, I would go to the Pulpit and Pen website and, uh, and note what has happened. They've also chronicled the discipline that he has underwent as a result of his sin and his continued impenitence. And this fellow is quite on the tear. So he has restored himself to ministry. And uh, this past uh, week, he actually went down to a church in Tampa, Florida, uh, you know, of the NAR stripe. Yeah, of the NAR stripe. And uh, along the way, uh, he decided that he was going to make a, uh, a a Facebook video while driving, yeah, which is quite fascinating. But uh, what we're going to note here is uh, what he says in this little YouTube, not YouTube, but uh, Facebook video. And notice how he lashes out at those who are critical of him. We'll note the tired old arguments. These are called ad hominem arguments. If you want to know what an ad hominem is, it's where... You know, somebody says, listen, you're not qualified for ministry. You've, your elders have put you under discipline and you refuse to repent and uh, go with their program. They've revoked your preaching license. And so you, you, you bring up facts, right? So you say, this is the case. And what does he do? He attacks you. You're a hater. You're a do nothing Christian. You're a, you're a gunky head. You're just jealous. And that's called an ad hominem attack because he's attacking the person. And uh, I I have received these types of attacks from, you know, Ben, like Perry Noble, Mark Driscoll, <clears throat> yeah, Stephen Furtick, you know, folks like that. And so Clayton Jennings, uh, the new, new uh, you know, up-and-coming uh, Padawan learner in the Sith has, uh, you know, taken after his narcissistic mentors quite well. And we're going to note something here, that in this... <laughs> In this little video, while he's, you know, talking about himself and how great he is and how terrible his haters are, um, he is going to um, he's going to give a tagline, and the tagline is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus till the day that I die. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus till the day that I die. It sounds really great, right? Except for here's the thing: that was the product placement plug. Uh huh. Because he's made T-shirts and hoodies with that that those words uh, on a, available at uh, shopclaytonjennings.com. So I think it's kind of fascinating. So you know, shameless plug. You know, you know, for his uh, new hoodies and uh, T-shirts with the Jesus, Jesus, Jesus till the day that I die tagline on it, which I thought was fascinating. But here's Clayton Jennings as he's 
on the road to uh, Tampa, Florida to, you know, engage in revival and lead people to Jesus and stuff, even though he's actually been disciplined by his church. And the elders there have said, do not support this fellow. He's impenitent. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Clayton Jennings. I'm not going to look at y'all because I'm on the road right now driving to Tampa with my lovely, amazing, beautiful wife. I'm preaching down there tomorrow night at CFC, uh, Christian Family Church of Tampa. Uh, and then Sunday- Yeah, the NAR stripe. Yeah, so uh, the, uh, the Montanists will take just about anybody. It doesn't matter if their elders have said, don't support this man's ministries. Morning twice. It's an incredible church with powerhouse couple leading that charge, and they're impacting that city, and it's awesome to see what God's using them to do. And a lot of people just gripe and complain in the church. They're actually doing something for the Lord. It's so cool, and we're excited to go down. Right, it's, you know, a bunch of people out there griping and complaining. You know, apparently, you know, he's referring to those who have rightly pointed out that this fellow is uh, biblically not qualified to do anything. He's actually under discipline. His church has excommunicated him. Uh, for his impenitence. Be part of it. Listen, I have a word of encouragement for you, and it's this. If you are being attacked by the devil, if you're being attacked by people, being lied about, gossiped about, put down. Yeah, exactly how are you being lied about, Clayton? Um, I'm curious because um, everything I've said is actually public knowledge um, and meticulously combed through uh, for accuracy. Um, you know, the women who've come forward and said that you've sexually taken advantage of them and abused them. Um, yeah, that they, they've made their text messages available and things like that. Um, the elders of your father's church where he pastors, they've revoked your preaching license. That's not a lie. That's the truth. So you know, notice here, he's painting himself out to be the victim, right? Yeah. Man, count that a joy. You know, the most flattering thing is not when people, you know, talk you up. The most flattering thing is when people take the time to talk you down. Because that means one way or another, you're on their mind and they're thinking of you and it's secret jealousy or it's some sort of... Right, yeah. See, see, the reason why the folks over there at Pulpit and Penn took Clayton Jennings to task and, you know, basically used their um, their media outlet to get the stories of the women that he exploited uh, sexually um, out for the church to see yeah, it was because, yeah, I mean, everybody knows. J.D. Hall and, you know, Maples and the guys over at Pulpit and Pen and the Polemics Report, they are really jealous of... Um, Clayton Jennings, yeah. I mean, I know for a fact that J.D. Hall really, at night, he just wishes that he could be as skilled and use as much hair product as uh, as Clayton Jennings. And, oh, man, he's, he's oh, J.D., I'm sure he cries himself to sleep every night in jealousy over the fact that God is using Clayton Jennings. But God ain't using J.D. Hall at all, you know. Secret fascination. So don't ever... Get down when you're pierced, when you're persecuted. Matter of fact, count it a blessing because persecution is always followed by promotion. Um, right. See, here's the thing: um, when you're being disciplined for by your church and your church elders for impenitence when it comes to a sin, you're not actually being persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. Yeah. See. See. Let's kind of review how this works. Um, you can you can find this in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus actually talks about what to do 
um, you know, if somebody sins and, uh, and as Christians, how we're to handle it. Matthew 20, uh, sorry, 18, starting at verse 15. Here's what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. And so, you know, all these women who were exploited by Jennings, you know, they went to him privately and he just totally rebuffed them. And if he does not listen, we'll take two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And see, see, they've done that. And, uh, you know, there's more than two or three women who've come forward um, claiming, you know, and actually documenting that uh, Clayton Jennings sexually <clears throat> took advantage of them. So if you refuse to listen to them, you tell it to the church, you know, like the whole church, right? And if he refuses even to listen to the church, well, you let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's talking about the office of the keys and the binding of sins. So there you go. Um, they've gone through this process. And uh, you see, Clayton Jennings is not actually being persecuted for the sake of Christ. He's been disciplined by his church, has had his preaching license revoked. He's impenitent regarding his sexual exploitation of these women. And uh, his church says, don't listen to him. So he's equating that with somehow being persecuted, you know, for the name of Jesus. No, actually, he's being disciplined for his sin. The Bible says, count it a joy, count it a blessing when you're persecuted for the things of the Lord. Now, the easy thing to do when you're persecuted, when people talk about you, when people will gossip about you, lie about you, put you down, the easy thing to do is lash. Yeah, um... I, who's lied about you? I'd be curious who actually lied about you. I, from what I've seen, all of this stuff is quite well documented, and the own the elders at the church where your father's the pastor totally have warned the world about you. Oh, to expose those people, to put them out there. But you got to understand that that's what they want. They want your attention. Um, they want people's attention. Their attention starved, and that comes from some sort of insecurity in their own life. Right. Um, I don't see um, the elders at uh, Harbor Shores Church in Cicero, uh, Indiana. I don't see them, you know, being attention starved. I, in fact, I've haven't seen any of them actually create Facebook videos while driving. Yeah, that's weird. You know, there he is. He's on his way down to Tampa, Florida. Um, you know, to do ministry, even though his church says not to. And they've revoked his license. And he's accusing the people who are critical of him and pointing out that he's impenitent regarding his... He's accusing them of being attention-starved? But he's the one making the video while driving and posting it on Facebook while driving. Who's the one who's attention-starved here? And, you know, and he said, and he said, don't lash out at these people. You know, he made a, a Furtick-esque video... You remember the Hey Haters uh, video, um, which we uh, dubbed. Uh, yeah, Ma Max Holiday dubbed. Uh, anyway, uh, he, he, Clayton Jennings, no joke, has come up with his own Dear Haters video. I, you know, Taking a book out of the Furtick uh, playbook. Uh, 
page out of the Furtick playbook. Here, here's here's a sampling from his spoken word, Dear Haters. Here we go. things that I read it, and suddenly I'm able to see it. It's never been about me, and I shouldn't care about the people who doubt me. It's not my aim to be loved. It's not my mission to be known. And I could care less if I never wake up to another text message on my phone. I don't need anybody but Jesus to bless these messages to put me in. Yeah, notice who he's um, spoken wording about. Yeah, is, is that the right way of talking? I mean, he's not preaching. I mean... He's spoken wording. That's the that's the right verb, right? He's spoken wording here. He's spoken wording about himself. Yeah. And when I'm in this state of determination, I promise you the only thing coming for hatred is extermination. I have no love for Christians who live complacent, but jump on Facebook and attack Christian leaders while hiding behind keyboards in their parents' basement. I'm out here. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, attacking Christian leaders while hiding behind keyboards in their basement. <sighs> yeah, see there. Yeah, see, I, I've had I've, so many times I've been accused of, you know, being a socially maladjusted single white male who still lives at home with his mother and sits in a, in a beanbag in his underwear eating Cheetos while banging away on a laptop every day. Yeah, no, actually, I don't live in my mother's home. I actually own my own. Um, it's weird, and I'm on the third floor, not the basement. Anyway, so that, you know, that, that, that's what we call an ad hominem attack. Yeah, so he is playing the victim card all the while while not actually addressing the sins that he's committed. The fact that the elders of his church benched him and took away his preaching license um, for for cause, sexual sin. That was the cause. Um, and so, you know, he's restored himself to ministry and he's lashing out at his critics. You haters, you are sitting in your basements. Uh-huh, that's an ad hominem attack. And the gospel while their lives are being wasted. This isn't an argument I'm starting. You wolves wrote those articles. Your jealous haters just face it. You're oh, that's right. The wolves are the jealous haters. Right, yeah. No, that's not actually how that works. Uh, wow, that's just... Um fascinating let's, let's listen to a little bit more of this yeah but the best thing that you could ever do is just ignore them yeah. don't jump in the pig style with pigs you'll just end up being another pig right see don't jump in the pig style with them but you wrote the uh you wrote and performed and recorded and put out on your your, your website that uh haters video wouldn't that be you jumping in the pig sty with don't you know, oh, oh it's weird this guy is quite the uh, the piece of work here. Somebody told me, and I thought this was funny, and I come from Indiana where people just shoot straight. But somebody told me that uh, you can get in a fight with a skunk and you'll probably win. But even if you win, you'll still walk away smelling like a skunk. So don't fight skunks. Just let skunks be skunks and you just keep walking. Right, yeah. So I, apparently he wasn't fighting the skunks when he wrote the Dear Haters video. Yeah. Preachers, the teachers who were never called, so you never made it. You have zero credibility, so it's not like I can even take it. But please stop calling yourselves Christians. We know you fake it. Jesus said you'll know. Right, so the people who are critical of him, they're not even Christians. They just fake being Christian. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, getting, that sounds skunky to me, you know? Walking. You have to understand that even when. The devil uses people to bring you trouble. That God is preparing double. Now he right, yeah, yeah. God's preparing double when you know people bring you trouble. He's slipping into a spoken word vocation here. Yeah. But again, somebody told me this too. The devil brings trouble. God's preparing double. I like that. Whatever the yeah, except for you won't find that anywhere in the scriptures. 
devil's bringing your way. God is preparing to bring you double the blessings. Say- yeah, totally made up. I mean, yeah. Are you going word of faith there, Clayton, now that you've uh, restored yourself to ministry? After your church's elders benched you and took away your preaching license? Never tear you down or bring you down when you're a child of God, because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So you have to understand that God is going to get you through this. He's going to take care of you. Don't try to take vengeance in your own hands. Now, there's going to come a time, maybe, possibly, you know, where you'll have to take some sort of action. You have to stand up for yourself. I don't know if that looks like legal action or whatever it may be. Oh, there's a veiled threat of legal action against those who have spoken out against him. Wow. In in order to actually bring a defamation lawsuit, uh, Clayton, you're, you actually have to be defamed. You know, somebody has to actually lie about you. And on top of it, you have to demonstrate, since he's a public figure, uh, he has to actually demonstrate that the intent of the lies was purposely malicious. This man knows nothing. He, you know, he, so so apparently all these women who've lied about they've they've lied about him, uh, you know, sexually exploiting. Uh, them and uh, and the the elders who looked at all the evidence talked with the witnesses they they lied you know and uh, and when and when they were yeah oh he's just the big victim here wow but don't ever jump in the pigsty with people and, and and get into that fight with people because when you do that you've just lowered yourself to where they're at and that's right yeah see he's lowered you don't do that because you lower yourself by their love and we don't see any Satan is marked by hatred and boy do we see plenty I can't believe I'm even writing about my haters your opinions aren't worth pennies and a Honda Civic doesn't belong in the same showroom as a Bentley I know who's alright yeah that's right you, you haters are, are Honda Civics and he's a Bentley wow is this guy full of himself <laughs> oh man he makes Stephen Furtick look like Mother Teresa <laughs> I mean, how is his wife able to fit in the car with him and his ego? I, I just, he's got probably got a really large SUV. Boy, this is fascinating. Let's keep listening. I'm talking about you because they want to be where you're at. So you might be in the valley right now. Right. The only reason they're talking bad about you is because they, they, they're jealous and they, they want to be where you're at. Wow. I, I've never seen anything this narcissistically blind. Wow. Back this up. This guy's a sociopath, probably, on top of it. ...about you because they want to be where you're at. So you might be in the valley right now. The guy's preparing you for the mountaintop. He loves you that much. He's going to take care of you. And the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So he, he will take out your adversaries. He will crush those who come against you. And no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. <laughs> this He's a walking slogan thingy. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're we're to faith nonsense too. This guy is off the rails. Don't use your energy that you could be using to impact people for Jesus and to chase your dreams. Don't use that energy going after people who aren't doing anything with their lives. You know, Andy. Right, right. Uh, none of his critics are actually doing anything with their lives. Not, not, not a, not a single one of them. No one said critics are just people who never made it. And that's the truth. Don't use your energy. Right. You don't have to- yeah, critics are just people who never made it. Let me back that up so you can hear that again in context. Well, who aren't doing anything with their lives. You know, Andy Minio once said critics are just people who never made it. And that's the truth. Don't use your energy going after those people. Instead, use your energy promoting what you stand for rather than what you stand against. What you should be standing for is love, peace, hope, Jesus. He loves you. 
Yeah. All of this is totally off topic here. You've actually been found guilty of sexual sin by the elders of your church, had your preaching license revoked, and, uh, you know, you've fled church discipline and are impenitent. Huh. Yeah, but none of that gets talked about. It's, oh, it's the, the reason you have haters is because they're, they, they want to be where you are. Yeah. Some of you will say, <clears throat> but you don't understand, Clayton. And excuse my voice, I'm fighting the cold right now. But some of you will say. Now, note here it, what's coming very shortly, very shortly will be a plug. Him using his uh, plug for his merchandise in this self aggrandizing video. People who've come against me are Christians. Well, before you get down thinking that the people who've come against you are on your team, Jesus said very plainly and clearly, you'll know them by their love. So if right, apparently. So apparently if you do what Jesus said to do, you know, you, when somebody sins, you go to them and they don't listen to you, bring more. And if they don't listen to them, you tell it to the whole church, right? So, so as soon as you do what Jesus said to do, you're no longer loving. Wow, this guy is quite the piece of work. He can't see past his own nose. No love in their life. They were never Christians to begin with. They were never on. Right. So the elders of his church, they're not Christians. You know, the people who, who, well, the victims who came forward, they're not Christians either. Yeah. He's the only one who's a Christian here, yet he is the one acting contrary to Jesus's own words. Wow. Team to begin with. So who are they really controlled by and who's really using them? It's Satan. So they're not on your team or God's team. They're on Satan's team. All the more reason to just simply ignore them and to press on with what you're doing and trust that God will take care of you. And that Yeah, have you noticed he's not ignoring his critics by putting this video out about his critics? Isn't that weird? You know? See you through. He'll take care of you. He'll see you through. And sometimes he'll open up doors to really be able to take action and take out those who come against you. So I love y'all. God bless you. I can't wait to see you in Tampa this weekend. And it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus till the day we die. Bye. All right. So, and then right there at the end, signing off with the video is Jesus, 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 until the day we die. But here's the weird part. Yeah, that that was actually turning into a plug. I mean, did you know that Jesus, 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 till the day we die? Uh, you can um, go and go to shopclaytonjennings.com and you can buy that with a T-shirt. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, they have it with a. You know, actually, war warm ups. You know, they've got it as a hoodie. I mean, there's all kinds of accessories where you can get that slogan. You know, and of course, when he put it on his Facebook, he made sure to put a link to shopclaytonjennings.com. So yeah, well, there you go, folks. I mean, he he's a victim, man. I mean, and everybody who's spoken out against it, they're just not even Christians. They're just jealous haters. Who failed at doing? They don't do. They do nothing. They absolutely do nothing. In fact, what's weird is because he ended up calling them do nothing Christians. When he arrived in Tampa, he put a, a little one-minute video up on Facebook. He was on the stage, and uh, here's Clayton Jennings talking about the do nothing Christians, the, those people who've <clears throat> warned the church about his sexual exploitations and his impenitence and all that kind of stuff. Here, here we go. What's up, everybody? I'm in Tampa. And the yeah, how much hair product did you do use to get your hair to stand up like that? I, I'm and seriously. I mean, I'm thinking that's like what an F5 
you know, on the tor- tornado Fujitsu school, uh, scale, yeah, that's an F5 hair gel, right? I mean, wow. I mean, kind of looks like heat miser from, uh, <clears throat> from that Christmas special. Let me back this up here. Here we go. What's up, everybody? I'm in Tampa. And there was supposed to be a revival tonight, but a bunch of uh, DNCs tried to stop it. What's a bunch of DNCs. Those are do-nothing Christians. They tried to stop this. DNC. It's a do-nothing Christian. And so people, like, it was going to be a good revival, and I thought we would preach the gospel, but... Now, he, he's, he's just feigning defeat here, because he, he wants to shove this up the nose of his critics, apparently. Nobody showed up. Wait a minute. What's up, everybody? <laughs> So there's a bunch of people, you know, that showed up for the revival there in Tampa. They don't care that um, the church that gave him his preaching license has revoked it, has warned the church that he's impenitent, that multiple women have come forward and, you know, told their stories of how they were sexually exploited by him. And uh, even one of his own buddies who he was, who was going to help restore him, you know, this guy has distanced himself and said, listen, this Clayton Jennings guy is, a, is really, really dangerous. He's not penitent. And there's Clayton Jennings with an impenitent look on his face with a very large amount of hair product uh, to make his hair stand out. I mean, oh, man. There, and there he is, apparently, you know, just letting everybody know, Jesus is using me. So you haters, you know, you do nothing Christians. And there's an overflow room right over there filled with people, too. And there's two services tomorrow. And so DNC, they really are DNFC, do-nothing fake Christians. All right, so that's right. Do-nothing fake Christians. Yeah, that's right. Those people who actually followed what Jesus said to do in uh, Matthew 18. They're nothing but do-nothing fake Christians. He's, he's, he's been exonerated. He's been vindicated because people showed up. Uh-huh stop this they can't stop the work of god and you can't stop what god is already destined and people will hear the gospel tonight and i also want to just use this time to make an announcement we're launching a tour this summer tell the world tour and we're going to tell the world about jesus and nothing can stop the work of the gospel bye uh, so apparently there we go yeah you see but that's it's really not about the work of the gospel it's it's about the fact that the person who is bringing the gospel is under church discipline for sexual sin and abuse of people who were his followers. Yeah. Um, hmm. So there you go. I mean, yeah, and he's a new Padawan, soon to be, I'm sure, one of the dark lords of the Sith himself, uh, Clayton Jennings. Uh, wow. All I can say is this: this fellow cares only about one person, and it's not Jesus. He sits there and says, Jesus, 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 till the day that I die. Yeah, that's just a slogan that he's put on T-shirts and, you know, products that he's trying to sell. Um, The person Clayton Jennings is about is Clayton Jennings. It's very, very sad indeed. All right, we are up on our second break. If uh, you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackandfightingforthefaith.com. 
Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to do our sermon review. I'll hang on to the other segments until uh, a future installment. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it, though. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We here at Pirate Christian Radio understand the importance of outreach ministries and what they can provide for the people they serve. We've recently discovered a small charity organization called Kenyan Christian Arts. This group has come together to craft and sell unique handmade Christian art locally and around the world to provide the funds necessary to feed, medicaid, and educate orphan children in Kenya. Additionally, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase is donated to the Fred X International Foundation to help the poor and orphan children all over western Kenya. Please visit KenyanChristianArts.com and take a look at their selection of hand-carved soapstone goods. Their selection includes a variety of pieces such as crosses, vases, nativity sets, and even mugs. Remember, that's KenyanChristianArts.com. Thank you. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich! And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box! is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Reformanda and join the fight for the faith today.
Let's do this right. Good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Life Lifting Church at Fort Erie, Ontario, Canada. Alex McDonald presiding. The name of the sermon is Starting a New Chapter. With a name like Life Lifting Church, I'm pretty sure you have a almost zero percent chance of actually hearing God's word rightly taught, good exegesis, proper handling of the, the text, and pointing to Jesus and him crucified for our sins and things like that. Yeah. Hate to judge a book by its cover, but in this particular case, the cover doesn't look good and already is telling me something about their theology. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Alex McDonald and starting a new chapter. Here we go. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm having an amazing day so far. I woke up this morning um, and I just felt the the scripture. I think it's from Psalm 119. What you 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 felt a scripture? How, how, what does it feel like? Scripture says that this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. I will be glad. I will rejoice and I will be glad. You know, one of the things that it speaks to me about and, and, you know, I, I always know the mornings when the Lord wakes me up with those kind of scriptures that I know that it's a day. The the Lord wakes you up with scriptures. Is, is Jesus your personal alarm clock? I've never had God wake me up with scriptures. I have to choose to rejoice. How many of you know some mornings you wake up and you're rejoicing and some mornings you wake up and you have to choose to rejoice, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? That there are those days and those times when... Yeah, it didn't take them very long to twist the word, did it? We have to, instead of looking at our situations and what's happening around us and reports that we've gotten and bank account statements, that in those moments, we remove ourselves from the situation and trust in the Lord. And because of our trust in the Lord, we can choose to rejoice. Can I get an amen? Can I get a little better amen? Because we choose. Listen, I don't know about you. But I don't want the world to tell me what my limitations are. I don't want to uh, have... Yeah, that's great and all. Um, You know, the job of a pastor is to preach the word. And I don't know what you're doing, you know, kind of whipping these people up into some kind of weird frenzy here. But the things that are coming out of your mouth are not actually biblical doctrines. ...have done everything that he's done for us. And then to live according to what the world says is possible or impossible, right? Jesus died for one reason, and that's so that the impossible, like my dad says, can become inevitable in our lives. Yeah, no, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that Jesus died for our sins. 
not in order to make the impossible possible. Yeah, that's a false gospel right there. And we're only a minute 42 into this thing. That there is nothing that is impossible for us. And you might look, listen to this testimony and think, you know, wow, wouldn't that be so great? Double the salary. Well, that's awesome for him, but that could never happen for me. Let me tell you something. If you change what's coming out of your mouth, I promise you, your situation is going to align with that. The scripture says it like this. that as Yeah, that's called the word of faith heresy. And thinks in his heart, so is he. What we got going on on the inside of us. Yeah, uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Um, that's a twisting of uh, God's word. Yeah, it, it, that's a total twisting of God's word. Again, we're now dealing officially with the, with the, uh, the word of faith heresy. Proverbs 23, verse 7 is the, uh, the proverb in question. Proverbs 23, verse 7 uh, let me read it from the King James, because that's where he's getting the nonsense from, is the King James. Um, uh, <laughs> As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's what it says. But it says colon. You're going, colon. Yeah, that's right. There's there's more to the punctuation here. And uh, so this fellow here is not actually telling us the whole truth of what this text teaches. Um, here's what it says, starting at... Verse 6, Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten, shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Let me read it from the ESV, which I think will help, because this is a wee bit on the antiquated side. Um, ESV says, do not eat the bread of one who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies for he is like one who is inwardly calculating, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. So the scripture here is not teaching, you know, that your words create reality. This fellow here from lift life lifting church is actually lifting up false doctrine and the word of faith heresy to these people, and they're slurping it up and saying, oh, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, uh-huh. I, again, I wonder how much they pay these people to sit there and go, oh, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, when he's teaching straight-up false doctrine. Us, the way that we think about our lives, about our situations, let me tell you something. You can't outrun a bad attitude. But on the other side is that a good attitude has the ability to change our situations. God, Man, that's not what God's word says. He's made it that simple for us that he's already taken care of all the details. He's already released blessing, healing. He's released prosperity. He's released good, strong. Really? Where did he release that stuff? Is, is it the way, you know, like a, you know, a dog track releases the dogs? I mean, wh- where are all of these blessings released to? I'd like to know. Relationships and marriages. God has already done the difficult part. Our responsibility now is simple. Align our attitudes, not towards our situations, but align our attitudes towards what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I promise you one thing. Listen. Yeah, Jesus died for our sins on the cross. So notice, this guy's straight up. Already, we're dealing with a false gospel, a different gospel. And uh, scripture's clear on this. 
that in Galatians chapter 1, if anyone comes to you, even an angel from heaven, preaching to you a gospel other than the one already preached, the one preached by the apostles, um, let him be damned. That's what anathema means, damned. And if you would like to know what is the gospel that the apostle Paul preached, uh, so that you have that as a reference, you will find that in the opening verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried and raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. The gospel is the good news of Christ bleeding and dying for our sins, for our salvation. And uh, this fellow, this this whatever it is he's preaching, this is a totally different gospel, and different gospels put you outside of the uh, body of Christ. The scripture says it all throughout that God is faithful to his promises, right? He is the faithful one that when everybody else in life has maybe let you down, maybe nobody has kept a promise to you. I promise you one thing. God will never let you down, you know? And so as we pick up this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so stirred. There's such a good atmosphere in here today. You could just like, whoo, preach for hours. And it's, there's, there's an atmosphere, huh? Okay. What's that? right now, which means I get more time to preach. So thank you all for, for being so quick. Lord, we're just thanking you for this morning. Lord, first off, we just pray. My dad is probably preaching right now. So Heavenly Father, we just play, play. We pray your anointing on his life, Lord. We know that you have delivered a message to him, not just to sound good, but to transform people's lives. And so we're asking for the transformational power that we so love and appreciate in this house. We ask, Father, that you would turn up the anointing as it goes uh, to, to Dr. Turn up the anointing. Kaufman's church, Heavenly Father, we ask that, that, that the, the atmosphere in Jubilee Worship Center, God, that, that it would be just like the atmosphere of transformation at Victory, Lord, that you would anoint him and anoint his words. And Father, we're asking, Lord, as they have gone out, Lord, we're asking for just a double portion of your anointing, Lord, just on our house today, Father. We're asking for an increase of understanding and wisdom, an increase of anointing, an increase of glory and presence. Father, we're so desperate to learn from you because we know that your word will do one thing, and that's transform our lives and make us live lives, like you said, heaven on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the title of my message today is How to Start a New Chapter. It's a good title, right? Everybody wants to know how to start a new chapter. And this morning, we're going to start this teaching off talking about Peter. Um, and I love talking about Peter because really you could teach any message you want and somehow you could find yourself, uh, in the story of Peter. Okay. I mean, this guy had some amazing ups and as we all know, he had some really low lows, like he did some awesome things, you know, and sometimes they happen in the same story, right? Like one minute he's walking on the water and the next minute he's drowning, right? Like, and and I mean, I think that I love him so much truthfully, because I think that, you know, as we read through the scriptures, it's like you find somebody in the scriptures that it's like, oh, I can relate to this guy. Right? Because it's like, how many of you, when you look at the story of Peter, you see he's got his ups and he's got his downs. And when I look at my life, I'm seeing like, well, I got my ups and I certainly have my downs. But how many of you know the amazing thing about it was, is that Peter was qualified, not because he did everything right. You must have missed that. I said, Peter was qualified, not because he did everything right. Peter was qualified because he trusted in the Lord. He was qualified because he just refused to quit. 
And so we're going to talk about this concept this morning of understanding what does it look like to start a new chapter? Because one of the things that I know and I've experienced in all the different types of people that I've gotten to speak with is that so often the thing that hinders us is not that there isn't the potential of the future. A lot of the time, what hinders most people is the failures of the past. That it's not the the hope that they have for what they can do. It's the discouragement that they have from experiencing what they've experienced in their past. And so many people allow the failures that are behind them to determine the end of their story. That they stop writing and they stop dreaming, not because they don't want more, but they stop writing and dreaming because they've allowed the past to define their character. You know, how many of you would love to read a book or even watch a movie, you know, where the good guy in the... Yeah, you know, um, listen, you know, there, there ain't anybody on this planet who isn't a sinner. And Christianity has a solution for our past sins. And that's to be forgiven of them by the shed blood of Christ. Story ends up, you know, just getting the short end of the stick, right? You ever wonder why they don't write movies that look like that? Because nobody likes those, right? We all like the guy, you know, we like him to go through hard times. You know, that's a definite, right? You always know in a story, there's always going to be hard times, right? But at the end of the story, you know, if you know, there's one thing, you know, that's the hope that I have. Sometimes I watch movies and I'm like, oh, this is, this is so horrible. But the reason I keep it on is because I know that it's going to turn around. You see, you cannot let the middle of your movie determine the finality. What? The, the, the middle of my movie? I'm making a movie? God's plan for your life did not end in your past mistakes. God- They're not mistakes. They're called sin. A mistake would be like, okay, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm helping out in the kitchen, right? And, you know, I don't know how to read the recipe. And the recipe calls for one teaspoon of salt. And I see tisp and I think tablespoon. And so I put a tablespoon of salt into the recipe and you know, that ends up, you know, you know, making it not taste correct. See, that's a mistake. And you're talking about people's past mistakes. Those are called sins, which you're actually describing or talking about. Hand is not so short that he can't pull you up out of the pit that you might find yourself in. There is no thing that you could have done or even are going to do that is so bad that God hasn't already forgiven you. Um, define that. I mean, yes, Christ died for the sins of the world, but yeah, that doesn't mean that somebody has subjectively been forgiven of their sins by the objective justification won by Christ on the cross. We got a problem here. Tell you something, God is not surprised by the situation you find yourself in. Uh, yeah, can you just knock it off with the platitudes and open up a biblical text and actually preach it? No, like you're having a bad day, it doesn't catch God off guard. Let me tell you, it's not like God is in heaven as he's watching you and all of a sudden, you know, a bill comes in the mail and he's like, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you need to come over here right now because we have a problem. <laughs> I promise you something, that never happens. 
God knew he wrote your story before the foundations of the world. Jeremiah talks about it multiple times that he's counted the number of our days. He knows even the amount of hairs that are on your head. Let me tell you, there is no detail or desire in your life that God has not already put into the perfect plan that he has for your life. Every man. So, uh, so, so salvation is achieving and living the perfect plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds like I don't need to do anything. It's just, you know, just God's already kind of worked it all out. So wh- why are you preaching to me then? ...that you would desire has been written into your story. The question is, will you turn the page and start a new chapter? Because uh, if he's the one writing the story, why would I have to turn the page? That doesn't make any sense. You know, this, this is weird. I mean, if God's doing the writing, I mean, he's the one turning the pages... Where in Scripture does it say, I have to turn the page to start the new chapter? See, Peter was just a normal guy. I mean, that's the reality. Jesus interrupted this normal guy's life, okay? Peter wasn't special, you know? Sorry, Peter. He's like in heaven thinking, yo, dude, I was so special. Like, you were special in yourself, Peter. We get that. But I mean... Yeah, again, could you just knock it off with his nonsense and actually exegete a text for us? His story wasn't that special. I mean, we know that if you understand what was happening in those times, is that people who would typically become rabbis, those were the special people in society. They were the smart people. They were the the people that had potential for their future. And we see Peter, his story, he is where? He's with his dad and his brother, and they're on a boat and they're fishing. So he was just a normal guy. And Jesus comes and interrupts this normal guy's life. And gives him this promise of an amazing future. He tells him, stop fishing for fish. I'm going to what? Make you a fisher of men. I want to take this seemingly small, insignificant thing that you know how to do. And show you how to transform it into something that's going to change the world. You know, that's God's story for each and every one of us. You might look at what you can do. Yeah, boy. So this guy is a not only word of faith, he's dream destiny thingy guy. Okay. You might look at what you've been given and think like, Peter, what can I do other than catch a couple of small fish? And Jesus is saying that with his anointing and his plan, he can take what seems to be so insignificant in your hand and cause that thing to change people's lives. And so Peter, this ordinary guy... We read in this story. Yeah, if that's what that all meant, then the scriptures would actually say those things. And the scriptures don't actually say the things that you're saying. You're saying something different than the biblical text. Said he's always messing up. I feel bad for him because, you know, he gets the most time in the Bible, which I guess is cool. It's kind of a trade-off. You know, we know Peter, but really we know him for a lot of the not so awesome things that he did. Uh, but one of the things that I love is that not only does he mess up, but he experiences amazing things. You know, and his story is perfect for us in that in this life. Of- he, he experiences amazing things. What is that? Christianity. You know, I wish it was going to be all, you know, rainbows and butterflies and good times and You know, but there's going to be, the scripture tells us, right? We're going to come on hard times. You know, I was listening to a thing from Joyce Meyer. 
yesterday on Facebook. Yeah, that, that's one of your problems there. And she made this statement about how God, instead of hating your present situation, learn to love it because God is going to begin to use that thing to develop the character that you need for God to take you into that new place. Yeah, again, do you have a biblical text that says that or just a Joyce Meyer quote from her social media? Christians don't actually get their doctrine from uh, Joyce Meyer's social media. That instead of feeling bad about where you are, learn from it, grow through it, and God's going to use it to cause you to accelerate to where he's calling you to go. And so we... Yeah, where is the doctrine of acceleration taught in Scripture? I'd like to see those texts, please. This Peter's doing amazing things, and his life is really starting to take off. Right. I mean, we see Jesus and, you know, they're all there and he's talking to his disciples. And, uh, you know, Jesus is like, you know, who do people say that I am? And some are like, oh, they say you're Elijah and some say you're Moses and whatever. And Peter like pipes up and says, you know, you're the you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, and so he's getting all these accolades and his life is really starting to happen. And we pick up a story in Luke chapter 22. Peter's life is really starting to happen. Where did you get that from? What? And the Luke chapter 22 is the Last Supper. Um, and so we see this, and this is probably Peter's worst day. Okay? Like, if you actually read through the account of what happens to Peter on this day, this is, like, probably the worst day that anybody, you, you could live, possible. Okay? And so they're at this dinner, and Jesus is, you know, giving the whole final communion thing. This is my blood, and this is my body, and he's doing all these things, and, you know, and then, you know, Jesus is trying to have this really intimate moment with these people, and then it's like, you're reading, and Jesus is giving this beautiful sermon about, this is my body, and unless you partake of it, you'll have nothing with me, and, you know, this is my blood, and, and, and then all of a sudden, all the guys, you know, the 11 guys, they start arguing about, you know, which of them is the greatest, you know, like, that's just what happened. It's like Jesus is, like, being all, all intimate and really expressing things, and boom, pops this argument. Could you show me this series of events in the narratives from the Gospels themselves? I'm, I, you know, it, this sounds like a weird amalgam of many things kind of squished together on a dubious timeline. Like, you know, I'm the greatest, and no, they're not the greatest, I'm the greatest, and, and this is what's happening with Peter, and then in the midst of it, you know, Peter's like, oh, I'm the greatest, and Jesus, wherever you go, I'll follow you, and you know, if you go to prison, I'll follow you to prison, even on... I don't recall Peter saying, I'm the greatest, when he said that he'll even follow Jesus to prison. Yeah, see, the, all of these errors are caused by the fact that this guy's Bible isn't actually being used or consulted for anything in this sermon so far. Death! And Jesus pipes up out of the silence and says, Peter, before this day is over, you'll deny me three times. <laughs> serious, serious vibe killer. I mean, he was riding his high horse for a minute. Right, yeah, Jesus just kills vibes, man. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Jesus pipes up. And then we know that after this happens, right, Jesus goes, you know, so that's strike number one for Peter. And then we know that Jesus, after this, he goes into the, the Mount of Olives to pray. And he takes with him a few of his disciples, Peter being one of them. And he says, you know, he's in anguish. And he's like, please, guys, just pray with me. And what happens? Jesus goes and prays maybe for, you know, 15 minutes, a half an hour. And he comes back. And what does he find? Peter, he's asleep. 
Strike number two, right? Not only does this happen once, but twice this happens to Peter. And so we see that this day is just getting worse and worse. And then people come, you know, and they come to take Jesus away. And, you know, they got him in chains. And what happens? Peter pulls out his sword and chops the guy's ear off. And then he gets rebuked again for trying. So it's like Peter is really trying to do his best here. I mean, he's thinking like, surely I got to redeem myself. And bad thing after bad thing keeps happening to him. And then to top it all off, we know at the end of the story, right? Peter is in the crowd of people. And through that, we know that Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. And then it says this thing that it makes a statement that just says, Peter, he leaves and he's gone. This guy who spent three years with Jesus doing such amazing things, all of a sudden he runs into a difficult situation and the scripture says he's gone. And you know, we don't, Here again about Peter through this whole process of, you know, this time of the passion of Jesus. You don't hear about him again. And and I believe that what happened to him was simple. Was his failure was starting to define his future. (laughs) Oh my goodness. This is the most ignorant thing I have ever heard. And all the guy has to do is open up the Bible and actually preach a text, and he wouldn't be saying these stupid, inane, utterly false, and ridiculous and patently absurd things. Good night. He could no longer see himself the way that Jesus saw him. He saw himself through the lens of his failure. And what happened? He quit. You see, I think... That's the biggest thing the enemy wants to do to us all the time. And it's to define us by our failures. Every time we want to... Yeah, I think. Notice those words. I think. Yeah, you're not supposed to tell us what you think. You're supposed to preach the word. That actually requires you to open a biblical text and pay attention to what it actually says and what it means. Yeah, I mean, your retelling of the story of Peter's temptation and fall is absurd step out he reminds us of the thing that we did every time we go to try something new he reminds us of the last time we did it and it didn't turn out well and what happens we allow the limitation of our past to define the promise of our future and it happens not just to you it happens to me it happens to everybody why because the greatness in you is so great and you have an enemy Right. The greatness in you is so great. And you have an enemy who's out there to prevent your greatness from being realized. Wow. This is narcissistic nonsense like you wouldn't believe. Did you learn this theology from Clayton Jennings? Whatever he can to stop that greatness from becoming expressed. And so, like I said, all of a sudden Peter is gone and and then in, uh, in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus has just been resurrected. You know, spends three days in the grave. He gets resurrected. And he makes this statement. And he says, go tell my disciples and Peter. Go tell my disciples and Peter. And I've heard it said so often that, you know, Peter was, he had gone. He was gone fishing. And I'm no scholar. Don't get me wrong. 
I thought, I thought, yes, I went back into the ancient scrolls and unrolled them and realized, oh, that's not correct. I'm not an ancient scholar by any means. But when you re- Yeah, I don't find that hard to believe at all. You don't even know how to rightly handle a biblical text, period. You shouldn't be preaching or teaching. Count in Luke, you realize that Peter was, he was still with the 11. He was still a part of the disciples' clan. He wasn't like, you know, he didn't pack his bags and move to Toronto. Right? He didn't do that. He was still with the guys. And, and I began to think to myself, if, if Jesus knew that he was still there, because he was God at this point, right? He was in his glorified body. He knew everything, okay? He knew that... He, he was God at that point. Was he not God at an earlier point? Peter was still there. Why, would he have, why wouldn't he just have said, go call my disciples? Because that would have made sense. Right. It would be like, you know, if my dad, you know, or my parents, they were in the other room. My parents would never say, uh, go call my kids and Alex. Right. I don't even know that my my dad would never do that. All right. Because it wouldn't make sense. He would just say, go call my kids. And it would be understood. Oh, I'm one of his kids. And so therefore he wants me to come. Why would Jesus have said, go call my disciples and Peter? Because we know one thing is that Jesus was not. He didn't disqualify Peter. Right. The majority of the time that he spent, you know, after his resurrection was reinstating Peter, his understanding of who he was. But what happened? Why did Jesus say, go call my disciples and Peter? It was because Jesus knew that Peter would have disqualified himself. Yeah, no text says that. How do you know that what Jesus was thinking without a biblical text? You can read the mind of Jesus 2000 years after the fact. Really? It was that Jesus knew that if you go call my disciples, Peter would have thought that because of what I did, it disqualifies me from being a disciple. Well, you are aware that Jesus himself said that anyone who denies me before men, I will deny before the Father. You are aware of that. And Jesus, and Peter denied Christ not once, not twice, three times. Right? He was going to allow the past to define his future. And so Jesus said, call my disciples and Peter. Why? Because he wanted to make sure Peter knew. Peter, I'm not judging you because of what you've done. Let me tell you this morning, God, Jesus. Do you think Jesus' death on the cross for Peter's sins may have played into his restoration by Christ? We are not judging you because of what you've done. I promise you one thing. There's not a single perfect person in the world. Yeah, that's true. There is none righteous. No, not one. Uh, That's what Scripture says. Read Romans 3. The issue here is that how are we made righteous because we need to be righteous in order to be saved. We're made righteous by the shed blood of Christ And that is applied to us by grace through faith. And typically the people who think they're perfect, they're the ones that are farthest away from being perfect, right? But sometimes we see our imperfection more than we see Jesus's perfection. And so we disqualify ourselves from doing what he's asking us to do. And so I believe. Yeah, what exactly is Jesus asking us to do? I, I, I'd like to know what that is. You know, since you think he's asking me to do something, since he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and God, I think it would be wise to pay attention if Jesus is wanting me to do something. 
this, I believe at the beginning of this year, heaven is inviting us to start a new chapter. Uh-huh. Just because the calendar has changed, you believe God is uh, calling us to start a new chapter. Do you have a biblical text that says that? I seriously doubt you do, but okay. You know, this is such a, a huge thing that each and every person needs to learn and understand how to do. Because the ability to close the door to the past is a skill that most people don't know how to do. I mean, that's the truth. Well, in order to close the door to the past, it probably has something to do with, you know, confessing that you're a sinner, that you've sinned against God, and being forgiven. You know, as First John chapter 1 says, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, something like that. You think that might play into this? I mean, it's one thing that when I talk to people, I hear the most of is most people talk more about their past than they do about their future. I mean, that's true. I mean, it's true for myself. We talk more about the things that are behind us than the hope that we have that's in front of us. And so as I, as I began to look at that, I realized one thing that discouragement, disappointment, and failure those are three forces that are designed to keep us stuck in the past. You ever notice that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Which text are you exegeting again? Again, this is just making stuff up. For some people, I think you notice the most that there's those, some of those people that were like in high school in the 70s. And now that it's 2017, they still look like they're in the 70s, right? <laughs> Everybody's got a friend who's like that. And if you don't have a friend who's like that, pff, sorry to say, but you are that friend, right? <laughs> You're, you're still stuck there, right? Everybody knows those people. It's so easy to get stuck in the past. And, you know, well, some people are stuck in the past because, you know, high school was so great. Most people are stuck in the past because we left our hope back there. That we traded our hope for disappointment in the past. And because of that, we're stuck back there. Right? We left our dream back there. We left our desires back there. All the good things of life are stuck back there. And now we're, we're living back there. I might be here today, but my hope is back there. Maybe for some of you, your hope is so far behind you that you don't even know where you left it. Maybe there's been so many bad things that have happened to you that you don't even know where to find hope. Maybe you don't even know how to spell hope anymore. But I promise you one thing. If you will learn what it takes, if you will learn the skill to turn the page, just start a new chapter. Stop letting the things of the past define what's going to happen in your future. And what will happen? You'll begin to dream again. Uh-huh. You, you promise that. Notice he was very certain about that. He's promising that. How can you make a promise for God that God himself hasn't made? You're going to look long and hard, and you won't find God making this promise. This is a promise this fellow, uh, Alex McDonald, must have just made up all on his own, which he has no authority to do. And so, like I said, discouragement, disappointment, and failure are designed to keep us stuck in the past. And if we stuck, get stuck in the past, we'll never embrace the promise of the future. 
And so let's talk about this. How do we start a new chapter? You know, when I was getting ready to, I wanted to write this as I was writing this message. I wanted to name it. What did I want to name it? Oh, I wanted to call it how to rewrite your story. That sounds nice. I like things that are like rewrite, redo, renew. It just like feels good. And as I'm typing out my title, how to, how to rewrite your story, the Lord stopped me and corrected me. And really? So why didn't the Lord stop you and correct you for hand, mishandling his word and telling a false narrative regarding Peter? I mean, if the Lord stops you and corrects you, don't you think he would correct you with the obvious there, you know? said, the job is not to rewrite your story. Let me tell you something. So many people wish that they could rewrite their story because their story is filled with regret. Most people that I talk to talk about regret all the time. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I wish I woulda. Let me tell you something. Everything that has happened to you in the past, every decision that you've made, every situation that you've encountered, every right and wrong decision, every time you hurt somebody, somebody hurt you, every time somebody did you wrong or something wasn't right, every single thing in your life has made you exactly who you need to be to sit in this church this morning um, you, you, all the things they did wrong has made them who they are. So all of their sin was an important part of their character development. What are you smoking? And hear this message about the promise of your amazing future. The, the, the promise of not, not the forgiveness of sins, but the promise of their amazing future. Oh my goodness. This guy is blowing sunshine under their seats. And this is nonsense. I don't care. I mean, I get it. Like the emotion and the pain is real. I'm not saying that, right? I had some stuff that in my past that I would love to rewrite too. But I tell you something, staying focused on those things is not going to do anything. Giving your attention to the past. I mean, logically, it's like the weirdest thing that you can do. We spend so much of our time focused on something that you could never change. I mean, until there is a time machine, it's really foolish for us to ever think about rewriting our story. Instead, what we have to focus on is the excitement of writing the future. And so- hmm. How about focus on the fact that Christ has bled and died for our sins mm-hmm. and that God promises to forgive us? to remember our sins no more, and that Christ is making all things new, new heavens, new earth, when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. How about that? Isaiah says it like this, that everything, that God has turned everything out for our good. That everything you've went through, everything you've gone through, God is using it and turning it. Like, you ever have that happen? Yeah, actually, that is not what that text says. I'd like to show you the caveat. And that's found in Romans chapter 8. I'll start at verse 26 for our context. Likewise, the Spirit helps us, written to Christians, in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things work together for good for just anybody, but for those who are called according to his purpose, who love God, who trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. How do I know? Well, it continues. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this guy, I mean, this is a miserable sermon, if you can even call it that. Alex McDonald has not rightly handled a single text. Everything is out of context. He's preached a false gospel. He's twisted and mangled every text. He he doesn't even have the details regarding Peter's denial of Christ and the things that happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Didn't even get that narrative correct. And he hasn't rightly handled a single text. And everyone there is going, oh, wow, oh, amen, and woo, and he's giving us these weird platitudes that are nothing more than his opinions. But none of the things he's said actually square with a single text in Scripture. This is an extremely dangerous sermon. And, of course, he's really nice and likable, and everyone there just thinks he's just giving him the truth, and he's not telling him anything that's even remotely biblically true. I haven't heard any Christian doctrine yet. When you before, when you're like in the middle of something, it's like, oh, this is so difficult. It's like parallel parking for me. Right. I'm thinking this is the worst. And it's so I was tribulating, trying to figure out how to parallel park. Right. And I'm thinking, how can this ever benefit me? Now I go to Buffalo all the time and I always have to parallel park. And now I'm so good at I could like parallel park with my eyes closed. Right. I'm thankful that I went through the difficult situations that I went through. That's what it means when God is saying that he's going to turn everything out for our good. I tell you what you can't do with your past is let it give you a hard heart. Because a hard heart isn't going to turn things out for your good. It's only going to make good things worse. Okay? Genesis 50 says that everything that was meant for our harm was meant to be turned around for our good. Right? No, actually, that's not what the text says. That's talking, that's Joseph talking to his brothers. Everything you meant for harm, God has worked for good. Man, this guy is just, there isn't a single text that he has touched that he has not really badly mangled. There's no shame in what we've done, right? But we just determined to keep moving forward. So how do we start a new chapter? I got- yeah, actually, if you've sinned, there is shame in what you've done. And moving forward is not the solution. Repenting and being forgiven is. Three quick points for you, and then we're going to be done. Number one, point number one. Everybody got a pen and paper? Yeah. Right, you're learning. Good. My points are gold, people. I'm just saying, right? Point number one, leave the past where it belongs in the past. Like I said, there is nothing. This is like the advice from uh, Timon and Pumbaa from uh, The Lion King. You got to leave your, your past and your behind, you know, something like that. That you can do to change what's behind you, okay? There is no point in focusing on something that you cannot change. Can I get an amen? Yes. There is no point 
and spending your life thinking about things that have been done to you in the past, things that you should have done in the past, things you wish you would have done, ways people should have treated you. Let me tell you something. There's no amount of wishing that can take you back to changing those situations. So why do we focus on those things? You know, I was reading one thing on the internet just about this and, and learning those things. And, and they, they're talking about this, like the, that, that victim mindset, you know. Where it's like, yeah, he was reading this on the internet rather than reading something in the Bible. Me against the world, right? Where we spend so much of our time so focused on trying to like make sure everything in our life that's not right is everybody else's fault. I tell you something, that's not changing anybody's life except for our own. Right? Yeah, that, that would be Clayton Jennings' approach for sure. It might feel good to blame people. It might feel good to make excuses for why things happen in our past. But I tell you something, those things are not going to help you to move forward. Maybe things didn't turn out the way that you thought that they were supposed to. But I promise you something, focusing on the fact that they didn't turn out the way they were supposed to isn't going to make them magically turn around and turn out right. Right? Our job is to continue to stay focused on the future. Right. Stop thinking and talking. Focus on the future. That's our job. Do you have a text that actually talks this way about the past? Let me say that again. You want to know how to stop focusing on the past? Stop focusing on the past. Right. Thank you. God bless you all. We're going home. Right. (laughs) Let me tell you the way to stop focusing on something is stop giving it your attention. It's simple. Okay, so many people come to me and are saying that, I just don't know. Like, I don't know how to do it, right? My first question to them is, how much time do you spend thinking about this? And like, well, it's always on my mind. And it's like, oh, ding, 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 ding. I think we just solved the problem, right? Because the more time that we give to something, the more of our attention that we give, the Bible says it like this, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be, right? What I... Yeah, actually, that's in the context of money um wow it's not of putting your past in your behind man my attention to is the thing that's going to be the most real in my life so what do we do change what you're focused on right force yourself to take control of your thoughts let me tell you your thoughts are not more powerful than you Yeah, which biblical text says force yourself to take control of your thoughts? Okay, we're not like animals. You know, my dog is like that, Bella. Where she just can't control what's happening. Like if she's laying down and she's comfortable and you go to pick her up, she's going to bite you. You know, she just can't help it. And she gets so sad after she bites you that she's like licking you. And she's like, oh, love me, love me. I'm right. She can't control what she does. We're not like that. You are not a victim to your thoughts. You are not a victim to your emotions, right? God has given us dominion over those things. We have to learn what it feels like to discipline ourselves beyond the emotion. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, he said it like this. I was reading in one of his books. Somebody came up to him one morning and asked him, you know, just being polite, you know, hey, Smith, how are you feeling? Right? Thinking like, it's just like a nice thing that we do, right? We just say that, you know, hey, Liz, you know, how you feeling? Right? And Smith Wigglesworth stops and rebukes the guy. He says, Smith Wigglesworth doesn't ask himself how he feels. He tells himself how he feels. You know, well, those people, you know, it's so. Yeah. Um, again, that's not biblical either. 
But like, they'll see, don't you just want to like punch him? You know, you're like, ah, shut up. That's not even what I meant. Right. But what? He was so aware. He was so aware of the reality of emotions. He was so aware of the fact that I can't let myself think about how I'm feeling. Let me tell you something. Your feelings are going to lie to you 99% of the time. Like, who feels like eating healthy food? Mmm, that just makes me feel so good. Who, like, feel... I feel really good going to the gym. But most people I hear, they don't feel good going to the gym. Why? Because our emotions cannot dictate... <coughs> excuse me. Our emotions cannot dictate the way that we make decisions. Because all that our emotions are based off of is past experiences. You want to know how to keep repeating your past? Live by your emotions. Just do whatever makes you feel good. And you'll keep going around and around and around. Hey, you know, I'll teach you a course, you know, how to keep making the same mistakes you always make. Right. Point number one, just do whatever makes you feel good. Right. Our emotions are designed to keep us safe. Okay. Let me tell you something. Doing anything great requires us to step outside of our comfort zone. Always. The first time you do anything. I mean, the first time you go to a new restaurant, you know, just kind of like the butterflies, you're like, ah, I don't know, are they going to be nice? Are they going to be mean? Am I going to have parking? Am I going to find parking? Am I going to have to parallel park? Right? <laughs> it's uncomfortable for everybody to do new things. But what? That's the way that we make progress. Right? And number two, stop being the victim of your own story. The pain of your past is not worth as much as the promise of your future. What exactly is the promise of my future? And how is it that you can talk about sin without at all mentioning the cross, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins? You are not the victim of your story. You're the hero. No, I think Jesus would be the hero. Your story. You get to write it. Nobody else is writing your story, not your parents or your teachers or the friends who told you you never could make it. Those people aren't the people that are writing your story. You determine your story. You determine the end. Not limitations, not where you were born or what your last name is. Are you talking about like heaven or hell? What are you talking about? Color of your skin, not whether you voted for Trump or not. That was a joke, right? Uh, everybody's Canadian here. They're like, oh, nobody knows how to respond. They're like, oh, there's so much controversy. Should I laugh or should I not laugh? <laughs> no, and then we're Canadian. We're like, yeah, whatever. Who's Trump? Doesn't even matter. Don't leave the past in your past. It's your story. Point number two. No, no, that was not two. That was one B. <laughs> Stick up with me, folks, here. These are complex notes. Point number two, determine the end of your story. One thing that's true about every good writer is they know how their story is going to end. Maybe the- So which of us can actually decide that for ourselves? How our story is going to end? Hmm. That would require me to know the day of my death and the circumstances under which it arrives. I'm going to fill in the details of what happens in the middle of the story. But every writer knows how their story is going to end. 
You have to know. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience as they make decisions. I'm not sure what people are deciding to do. Oh, yeah, let's start a new chapter. Change the page and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we haven't heard a biblical text rightly handled. All this talk about our past sins, and they're always described as mistakes, and the cross is nowhere in sight as even one of the possible solutions. How is your story going to end? I tell you, if you don't know where you're going to go, you're going to go nowhere. That's the truth. Okay? Who do you want to be? I ask myself that all the time. Who do I want to be? Not like, what's my identity and who am I? It's not that. Who do I want to be? When I die or go to heaven, who do I want to have been? What do I want people to say about me? What's my legacy going to be? Let me tell you something. Well, his is going to be a Bible twister and failed motivational speaker. The things that you have to start to write down. What do you want to accomplish? Maybe you want to own your own business. Maybe you want to be a millionaire. Maybe you want to be like Jeremy and Lottie and have whatever city said, 26 kids. <laughs> Love you guys. You're so awesome. Yeah, they actually have five kids. It's very exaggerated. What do you want to accomplish? Your dream is your dream. There's no dream that's stupid. There's no dream that's too big and there's no dream that's too small. Some people's dream is to be a mom and some people's dream is to be an astronaut. Let me tell you, God put that dream in your heart. The best thing that you can do is be the person that God wants you to be. Point two B, choose, just so everybody knows. Choose to dream again. It's a choice to dream. I know two or three years ago, I went through a situation that did not turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. Like literally couldn't have been any far in the opposite direction. And I thought that I was good until I started to try to dream again. And it was like, yeah, you got to, you got to dream again. You got to try it to dream again. My ability to dream was gone. I used to think about big things. And now I only could think about things that I could accomplish in my own strength. I used to think about the more and doing great things. And I found myself thinking limited thoughts. Past failures love to steal our ability to dream. But dreaming is not something that is just for little kids. It's not something for people who've got everything working for their life. Dreaming is a choice. We have to choose. Have you made the decision to dream again? Dreamers. I tell you something. There's something in all of our pasts that would try to steal our ability to dream. Something in your past. It's dark and foreboding. It's going to steal your ability to dream. This sounds terrible. But we choose whether we'll dream or not. I'm telling you, the way to get over, over your past is to begin to dream again about your future. Right. It has nothing to do with the cross, repentance, or the forgiveness of sins. No, it's, it's about dreaming again. Harvard did this study. About Harvard didn't exist in the time of Scripture. The importance of writing these things down. 
Like, I'm not saying just, like, dream these, you know, pie-in-the-sky things. They're like, yeah, maybe one day I'd like to start writing things down. Like, you should have a list of things. It's like, this is who I want to be. This is what I want to do. Harvard did a study. And they took, I think it was like 100 people uh, while they were in school. It was like 100 people, yeah. And they followed them for a 10-year a ten year period. And the, the, the goal, was, the, the study was all about the, whether it was effective to write down your dreams and your goals or whether it really didn't make a difference. And so the study went like this. 3% of the students had written down their goals and planned to accomplish them. 13% had their goals in their mind, but they hadn't written them anywhere. And 84% had no goals at all. After 10 years, that same group of students were interviewed again, and the conclusion of the study was totally astonishing. The 13% of the class who had goals in their mind but didn't write them down earned twice as much as the, as the 84% of people who had no goals. <laughs> twice as much. The 3%, however, who had written down their goals and plan on accomplishing them were earning on average, listen to this, they were earning on average 10 times as much as the other 97% of the class combined. There is power. There's power in determining that we're going to do something. It used to be there was power in the blood. Now it's power in determining to do something. Yeah. I have no idea what this has to do with Christianity, but I mean, this is supposedly a sermon, you know. Let me tell you, Jesus knew what he came to do. I, I bet he wrote it down. That's why he makes so much. The scripture says he found himself. He was desperately searching the scriptures to find who am I? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You're just making stuff up. Where in scripture does it say Jesus was searching the scriptures to answer the question, who am I? It's a determination to find where God wants us to be. And point number three, I'm done here. Start writing your story today. Everything that you need to take a step towards your goal, you have. This is one of the biggest lessons I learned in my life. Sometimes you see your goal way down here and it's so big. Let's say you want to be an astronaut. And I see myself today and I'm just guy. And I'm like, how could I ever get from here to there? I tell you, there is something you have right now. Something you can do this minute or as soon as you leave church today that you can do to take one step towards your goal. The biggest lie of the enemy is trying to make us feel like... Yeah, actually, I think this whole sermon is one of the biggest lies of the enemy. Dream is so far away, there's no way that we can get there. Let me tell you something. The way that you get to Toronto is not that I stand here and think really hard and then... I wish that would happen, right? That's not how you get anywhere. You don't just like one second be like, oh, I'm here, and the next second pop. I mean, maybe one day we'll be teleported or transported, whatever that is. I don't know, that'd be sweet, but it's what? It's a little step, another little step, another little step. The biggest lie of the enemy is making us feel like if we can't get to our dream today, it must mean that it's never possible. 
it, chances are it's not possible today. If it is possible today, you're dreaming a little bit too small. Yeah, God wants you to dream a lot bigger. But I tell you something, maybe the end is impossible today, but something is. There's something that you can do today to get closer to your dream. It's like this. So get to it. Goes, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a Really? Time. And so you guys can get ready with communion. I want to do. You're going to have communion after this. Wow. This morning, you can start to pass it out. Just pass it out. He's not even going to say the, the words that Jesus said, you know, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks. Just start passing it out. I'm going to do that this morning. I want each of us to make a choice. You know, communion was all about this moment. What moment would that be? It was this moment that Jesus had with the disciples where he was inviting them into a new chapter. Right, yeah. So communion's all about that new chapter. Where maybe things were one way for a long time, but as he presented the, what is... This is new communion theology. Never heard before on the planet until today. Symbolically, his body and his blood, he was telling us that we have an opportunity to enter into something new. The new covenant. This new place in God where, not that we make all things possible, but he does. Right, so communion's uh, all about God making all things possible. Wow. I seem to recall Jesus saying something like, Take eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take drink, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for you. For the forgiveness of your sins. Uh huh. I seem to recall that, yeah. And I felt that so strongly this morning that... As yeah, you felt that. Well, that's got to be true then, because you felt it, man. Take communion. Yes, we know we're taking communion, you know, because of all the promises that come with taking communion. But I felt this morning that, th that, that heaven wanted us to take communion around this concept of choosing that I'm no longer going to let my past determine my future. Right. The, the Spirit told you that, man. The, the, you got to take communion that you're not going to let your past dictate your future anymore. That's why we take communion today. Listen, everybody has gone through hard times. Like, I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm a pastor. Not anymore, thank God. But there was times... Yeah, clearly... Glad you're not anymore either. I think you should retire and never preach another sermon. And a couple of years ago, where I said to myself, does this stuff even work? Is this stuff even real? That happens to everybody. Everybody thinks those thoughts. Everybody feels those feelings. Everybody's been disappointed by the faith process. Everybody's dream for something and it didn't happen. Disappointed by the faith process. Yeah. Oh, okay. Everybody's got really hyped up about something and nothing comes of it. Everybody's experienced that. Don't let the past. Like, I feel like this so much. Like, heaven is pleading with us. Yeah, he feels that, man. So, yeah. Don't let the past determine the future. 
My dad made that statement, you know, a couple services ago. This concept of being born yesterday. Where we forget about... And embrace this, the year of the harvest. As you hold these things in your hand, I want to do that. Just, you just close your eyes. We're just going to take a moment. Just of privacy and concentration in ourself. Because I tell you, this isn't about me. It's not about the people that are around you. You hold these symbols in your hand because of what Jesus did for you. The promise he's made to you. The hopes and the dreams that are in you. Uh, the hopes and dreams that are in me? I thought Jesus promised to forgive my sins. What are you talking about? It's easy to swallow this brisket and take a sip of this nice grape juice and not I don't even think this is communion. Happen. But there's enough power in the promise to change your future. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking even right now. Done. Wow, what a mess. That was a train wreck from start to finish. I mean, you know, all the way to and including the communion, but also where Jesus was diligently searching the scriptures to figure out who he was. Yeah, don't seem to recall that story. And uh, what was missing? Oh, Jesus, the cross, uh, sound text in context. Oh, man, what a mess. And different gospel to boot. (laughs) Sounds like a nice guy, though. I mean, you know. Seems quite amiable, but I don't think that had anything to do with the scriptures or Christianity or biblical doctrine. That was just feel-good gobbledygook. Wow. I need to go floss my brain. What did you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>